Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Oh, that's a beautiful sound. This is It Could Happen Here, a podcast about things falling apart and sometimes putting them back together. I'm Robert Evans. Uh, I'm here again with Dr. James Stout. James, say hello to the people. Hi, people. We are in an undisclosed location. Is that going to get you in trouble with your immigration stuff? Almost certainly, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, let's just bleep out the rest of that, but keep the thing with me asking if it's going to get him in trouble with this immigration officer. (laughs) That'll be fine. This is a podcast that all too often, as Garrison and I say, winds up us being like, here's a problem, goodbye. Um, and telling people about problems is important, but it's also important to talk about solutions. Uh, now, there's been a discourse, not just on the Twitter, but on the subreddit for um, It Could Happen Here, uh, repeatedly over the last few months of people talking about like how would anarchists handle things like large-scale distribution of food, um, an industrial base, you know, how, how, would anarchists, how would an anarchist society handle infrastructure in any meaningful capacity? Um, and I think there's kind of a widespread idea among some people that like you have to have intense centralization um, to do that. Um, now, James, you are, I wasn't joking about the doctor thing, you do have a PhD, and your specific area of specialty is the Spanish Civil War. That's right, yeah. Uh, even more specific than that, actually, my uh, 
my very specific area of uh, a specialty is uh, the Second Republic, so a period before the Civil War, and really like the first week uh, of the Spanish Civil War. Um, but yes, uh, Catalonia specifically, like revolutionary Catalonia, and uh, I guess my thing is the uh, anti-fascist Popular Olympics in 1936, but more broadly, Catalonia and Catalonia before and in the Civil War. Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting about this period is you did have one of the fairly rare times in history where a significant number of people were living in an industrialized-ish nation um, with with anarchist under anarchist principles, um, and a number of things were done in an anarchist fashion, including the production of armored vehicles, the maintenance of large amounts of agriculture, you know, power and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, how 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 do how do James? Yeah, uh, how do anarchism? Let me tell you. Um, I should start by saying, like, I'm not, like, a big, big theory guy. I'm more of a sort of doing things guy, um, person. But, yeah, so if we look at what we had in, in Catalonia, right, in 1936, so the Spanish Civil War, if you're not familiar, starts uh, on the 19th of July, 1936, with a coup, right? Um, some of this will sound familiar. Maybe you should listen to our podcast about Myanmar. Uh, but we have a, a military uprising against a leftist democratic government that has just been elected in 1936, um, after two years of a right wing, it's called the Biennio Negro, like the Black Biennium. That you know, you've lived through the Trump shit. You understand. Yeah. Um, so we have this coup that happens, and in cities across Spain, the coup is largely stopped. Uh, the the differentiating factor is oh, we talked about this in our podcast is where the people are armed, the coup is stopped. Where the people are not armed, where the government says no, we won't release weapons to you, the coup is the coup succeeds, right? Um, now, in Barcelona, the coup is stopped almost entirely by the anarchists, with a little bit of help from the police, actually, oddly, right? Um, the the one... <laughs> yeah. Classic allies, anarchists <laughs> yeah, and the police yeah. fighting together. I mean, it is also a very different kind of uh, situation with, uh, I mean, yeah, culturally. Like, how, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, in Spain, you have various police forces, right? And uh, some of them are created by the Second Republic. So they are police that exist really to protect uh, the Republic from things that would attack it. That does not mean that they do not attack workers, right? The Republic was often called the Republic of Order because they violently put down strikes and the anarchists killed them. Uh, but in this instance, they remained the loyal. The cops. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's a pretty steady thing. Yeah. Uh, but in this instance, uh, the Republic was under attack from the right, right, from the military. And in some towns, the police split for the military. But in Barcelona, they largely did not, right? You, you have various police guards, police groups in Spain, uh, federal and, and local. But um, the assault guards and, and the um, civil guards in Barcelona largely remained with the Republic, right? And it's important to, maybe if we if we step back a second to explain the concept of a popular front, then we can understand that more easily, right? Uh, yeah, and we do, for, for more detail on this, we talk about a decent amount of this in our Behind the Insurrections episodes on the Spanish Civil War and the popular fronts, which aren't just a Spanish thing. They exist in France. They exist in a number of other countries. It's a thing that gets tried on several occasions, often successfully, at least from an electoral standpoint. Yeah, yeah, it's very successful at this time, right? Yeah. And 
Uh, it's important to understand that the ERC, uh, which translates as Catalan Republican Left, had more or less been a popular front since 1931. Yeah, and a, a popular front is basically this thing we keep talking about where what if everybody on the left could get on the same page about stopping fascism? That's the basic idea, is like, you've got your libs, you've got your commies, you've got your anarchists, you've got other weird chunks of the left, and everybody agrees, let's all work together to deal with this specific right-wing threat right now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like we can put our differences aside and, yeah. and move forward. Um, so that's what you have in the Second Republic is explicitly called the Popular Front. Right. And so that is why the police in Barcelona split with the anarchists. Now, what happens in Barcelona is that the military march into town from outside of town and just pretty much get get the their ship pushed back in by the anarchists. Right. Uh, all around town, gunfights break out in one instance. um, the anarchists are able to persuade the soldiers manning a machine gun that their class solidarity is more important than their obedience to their officers, and then they turn the machine gun on their officers and kill their officers instead. Unbelievably base. <laughs> <laughs> Exceptionally fucking cool, right? Uh, the Spanish Civil War has all these amazing stories like that, but that, that's one of my favorites, right? Um, doesn't happen often. It's great when it does. Um, so what we have by the end of the first week of the Spanish Civil War is a situation where in Catalonia, the city is in the hands of the anarchists. There's this meeting that happens between the president of Catalonia and the anarchists. It may or may not be apocryphal, or the exact words may or not be apocryphal. It doesn't really matter. What happens is that the anarchists go to the president of Catalonia and uh, they he says to them, you're in control of the city. The city's in your hands. I've been. He actually, the president, he was liberal, but he'd been a lawyer for the anarchists when they kept getting fired. Um, he said, if you want me to be another foot soldier in the fire, will I'll quit my job. I'll just be another fighter. But if I can be useful to you as a politician, I will as well. Right. So it's a submission, admission from an elected bourgeois politician that like the city belongs to you now, to the people. And it's up to you what we do next. Right. And what they did was they founded this. They didn't actually sort of go, right, it's all anarchist, right? The two salient anarchist groups are the CNT and the FAI, uh, the Anarchist Federation of Iberia and the National Confederation of Labour. Um, he didn't, they didn't sort of be like, okay, we're under anarchist control. They, they founded the People's Committee of Anti-Fascist Militias uh, and they said this is an anti-fascist Catalonia, right? And then they began um, to control the industries according to the principles of anarcho-syndicalism, right, which is the idea that uh, the way to move towards a more libertarian society under or moving from industrial capitalism is through industrial unions, right? Um, and they were extremely effective. I see this discourse a lot um, on Twitter or on Reddit or on places where, where uh, um, I don't want to just like dismiss people as tankies, but where, where because like, you know, maybe those people can can listen and we can talk and we can understand each other. But where people go on the internet to talk about politics and say that, like, it's impossible for anarchists to do supply chain. It's impossible for anarchists to do logistics, right? Uh, and sometimes I think they think of anarchism as, like, uh, like only able to work in groups of five people or yeah, something. Yeah, there's this broad spread attitude in part because of, like, some social attitudes among a lot of American anarchists, certainly American anarchists who are very online that like anarchism is when you live on a farm with four of your friends, right? Like that, yeah, yeah. that it's very pastoral, it's anti-industrial and a decent amount of American anarchists are, it's not uncommon to find people who are like anarcho-primitivist or whatever. Um, but it is important to note that there's a very long anarchist tradition as we're talking about now that's deeply industrial. 
Yes, and like the anarchist A, right? The anarchist symbol that we all see that comes from America, right? The industrial workers of the world come from the United States. The raised fist popular salute comes from the IWW, goes to Spain, right? Uh, We have this long tradition. But yeah, I think a lot of American anarchists, because it's easier to live and work cooperatively in a small group, somewhat detached. But what we have in Catalonia that we don't have here is the majority of the working class committed to anarcho-syndicalism, right? So people return to work and work very effectively when they're not also volunteering, also fighting in something like uh, the Deruti column, right? Um, These anarchist militias, which we can also talk about because I think they're very interesting. Um, So, for instance, one example that I like to cite is the Hispano Suiza factory, right? Uh, Spain Swiss, it's just an automobile manufacturer. It's like the GM factory. Within three days after the revolution, and bear in mind that most of them have been out shooting at soldiers for most of that time, right? Um, Big thing that they had to deal with was uh, the soldiers would often use the churches, they would burn the churches. Uh, so, like, it, it was an extremely uh, vicious urban battle. They, were, they had converted their facility to go from producing automobiles for rich people at the time, right? 1936, not everyone had a car, to producing technicals, armored cars, right? And you can see them if you Google CNT technical, CNT armored car, you can see some amazing, like, uh, hodgepodge technicals that they'd welded these things on and they were able to turn those around and produce weapons for the front uh another good example is the ascaso pistols right so ascaso is is a famous anarchist leader um and ascaso was killed on the first day of, of the revolution right when they were fighting the coup um so there weren't there wasn't much weapons manufacturing in catalonia right and, and we're very familiar with that from our, our work on myanmar um what they did was they set up a factory in Terrassa to make weapons. Uh, they made copies of ruby pistols, actually, but then they named them after Ascaso. So you, you can still buy them. I'm sure you can Google them. You can find them. Uh, um, but these they set up a weapons factory, right? And then, then under anarcho-syndicalist principles, under the principles of sort of unions controlling this production system, unions controlling the supply chain system, which, let's be honest, they do largely anyway, right? Like, it's not Tim Apple who, who buys a circuit board for your phone. It's someone else. Uh, now, this is a slightly more globalized system with with Apple phones, but um, the the unions were able to set up and change their production, right? Not just keep doing what they were doing, but also pivot without the need for people exercising authority over each other. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Important understanding, because you ask, like, how, how would anarchists continue industrial production? It's like, well, have you ever had a job that had you work in a factory or an assembly line or in some sort of other industrial way? Have you ever been a contractor and had a boss who sucked? Would it have worked better if that boss hadn't been there? That's the basic, that's like the, like, it's entirely possible for large groups of people to coordinate in a way that is not a capitalist system where you're all accountable to a shareholder, right? Like, there's there's a number of different ways to do that, but there's a long tradition. And in fact, some corporations that are still around today and quite large, you can look up the Mondragon Corporation in Spain that have a lot of anarchist principles in their organizing. Um, not that, like, it's an anarchist company or whatever, but, like, there's significant... Degree, like significant amounts of anarchist theory in why that operates the way it does and, and has been significantly successful. Um, there's some other examples in, I think it's Brazil. Um, there's a large like steel corporation or whatnot. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's, it, 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 it's not, there's nothing about anarchism that means you can't have a factory producing armored cars. It just means you're not producing armored cars for the profit of the, yes. the Lockheed Martin Corporation or whatever. Yeah. yeah, you're producing armored cars because you are fighting in a conflict that you hope will liberate other people, right? And that is arguably a more important motivation than, than wage labor. And certainly they, in some cases, increase productivity. But they were able to sustain all the functions of an industrial society. And Catalonia was very industrialized, much more so than the rest of Spain, right? And that's perhaps why anarchism was so so important there. And, and yeah, there, it doesn't require the arbitrary exercise of authority for that to happen. And like you say, there's plenty of examples of that. I think both of us really enjoyed David Graeber's book, but this idea that we move from one phase of society to another and that necessitates a different form of political organization just isn't borne out by the historical record. And I think like, Catalonia is a really good example of that. 
Yeah, and a further example of that is in a pretty similar time frame. You're talking an earlier, but not, but maybe like less than 20 years earlier. You have Nestor Machno and Machnovia in, in, in Ukraine, this kind of independent, autonomous, anarchist society that is extremely successful in war, that the Soviet Union does not exist without Machno fighting the whites. Um, as as successfully as he did in stopping an advance on uh, on Moscow, and that's rural. They were not industrialized, and in fact, their anarchism was very much based in kind of the traditional methods of organizing rural societies in Ukraine. Um, and you have that a lot in other, like you have a lot. There are a lot of areas in which anarchism is common in rural areas, and it's more of like a state socialism in industrialized areas. But you can have you also have this deep history of industrialized anarchism, and there's. Uh, it, it shows that there's a capability for anarchist principles to function with infrastructure. Yeah, I th- and if you want to look for rural anarchism, you can look in southern Spain, right? There's, um, if you want to look at a, a small case study, the anarchists of Casas Viejas is, is a, a great example of that, right? People can find it. I'm sure it's free online. It's a PDF now. Um, but yes, it, it doesn't have to just exist in an urban or a rural society or between the two, right? Like um, where the Deruti column uh, went what south... Okay, the Druid column is an anarchist column. Uh, there are a number of other anarchist columns, uh, but this one is the, the sort of the preeminent one, the one that was most successful because they tended not to get bogged down as much in fighting in rural environments where they were not skilled, but they were extremely skilled, much more so than the military in fighting in, in urban environments, right? So they were very successful. They went to Zaragoza and then fought there while they were there they were collectivizing the farms right and i'm sure some of that collectivization was forced i don't want to be like everything was was rainbows and unicorns yeah it's a war there's no side in a war whose hands stay clean right like that's not minimizing or ignoring it it's just stating that like you 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 have to sometimes talk about the broad strokes of what's going on with without pretending to whitewash the fact that i'm certain ugly things happen there as well yeah yeah and like yeah as you say ugly things happen in war and i think if you if you want that not to happen maybe I don't know. We, we live on the internet, um, but like um, the the Ruti column then goes to to Madrid, right? In the siege of Madrid, which was the also the first conflict with the international brigades, the first battle the international brigades fought in. It was a very successful battle for the republic. It was a battle that allowed the republic. If we look at the two battles that allow the republic to exist, right? It, it's conflict in Barcelona, the battle for Barcelona on the first days of the civil war, and it's a battle in Madrid. Right now, Madrid is not as much of an anarchist city. It is a city with anarchism, but it's also more salient other socialism. Um, so when the, the Deruti column arrives, right, and, and takes part in the combat there, because they have been successful, because they're very good at urban warfare, and a lot of the people in the Deruti column didn't want Deruti to go, but he decided it was important to go as part of this popular front, right, to fight this this huge push of Spain's most professional soldiers, right. Uh, and that's where Deruti, you can read. Uh, I know someone is working on, a, on like a graphic novel about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, boost that as well. yeah, yeah. And you should give them your money if you have some. But um, Abel Path's book about Deruti is very good. Um, it's an amazing book because you turn over the line of notes and he's like, oh, yeah, this book has taken me a long time to write because I was involved in a resistance against Franco and spent 25 years in jail, <laughs> solitary <laughs> confinement. Uh, but what a Chad. Um, but so you can read about Deruti there, right? And Deruti dies in the battle for Madrid. But it's also kind of important to look at Spain is effective. Anarchist Spain is effective in fighting fascism. Um, what stops it being effective 
to my mind, is not anarchist principles military organization. The other thing that was that was impressive about the Ruti column was that they had embedded army, loyal army officers, and they listened to them and they learned from them. And they said, okay, we don't, we're good at some stuff, not good at other stuff. We will learn from you. Other anarchists didn't and didn't tend to do as well. Yeah, this is a common misconception because anarchists are very much against hierarchy, um, which doesn't mean being against uh, professionalism or competence, right? Like it's the idea that like the hierarchy, for example, that led several million young boys to get machine gunned in World War One because the people who were in charge of them had not learned how machine guns functioned um, is was a problem. But if you've got someone who has been training their entire life as a soldier and understands very effectively how artillery functions and how machine guns function and because they have professionalized in that, it's not against anarchist principles to listen to that person in a gunfight. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Expertise is not a. It's yeah. not. Yeah, is is not incompatible with liberty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, they were very willing to listen to that, and in the same way, they would be in a. Like, yeah, again, these people have worked in factories, right? They understand that if you don't know how to use a lathe and yeah. you ex- exert your liberty to use a lathe, and your hand's going to end up in the lathe. Yeah, when I when I go to a doctor and say, I'm, am, I, I have gotten this horrible infected wound, what do I do about it? I am not yielding to a hierarchy. I, I, am, I am accepting their expertise, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think sometimes people, I, I think your listeners are much better informed than this generally, but people confuse anarchism with a predilection for chaos and violence, and it isn't that, right? It, it's just a, it's, it's a desire to, to, to be more free and to not be controlled, to not have a boot on your neck. Um, but to, to wind up that thought, like the reason that Spain, uh, that the Republican Spain starts to lose is not because there are anarchists, and you will definitely see this discourse on the internet. Many people will tell me that I'm mistaken about this. I'm, it's my fucking degree. Uh, but um, yeah, I would argue that it, it's because the whole Western world, the, the, the quote unquote democracies, abandoned them. Right. Yeah, this is like there's there's this we talk about this a bit in the episodes we did on it, but like there's this whole argument that I'm sure you'll get into more between like the socialists, the communists, you know, and the anarchists, but a huge part of it, probably most of it is that like the fascists are getting guns from other fascists and tanks and aircraft often flown by professional fascist pilots who are training for what's going to become World War II, whereas Republican Spain has some old bolt-action rifles that got smuggled in through France. Yeah, <laughs> and some Mosins that were sold by America to Russia, from Russia to Mexico, and then from Mexico back to Spain, right? Like, um, and, and yeah, these old Mausers that Orwell talks about that are rusted and they can't open the bolt after they fire them and they reload their ammunition and it's shit. Um, but yeah, the, and on the other side, right, like the coup doesn't work. If How does the army of Africa get from Africa to Spain? It doesn't swim, right? It, it, how do these generals get from Africa to Spain? Airlifted by other fascist nations, right? Um, we don't see that, right? Actually, France wanted to sell planes to the Republic in the early days of the war, but uh, Britain pretty much put the kibosh on it. Um, There's yeah. an interesting parallel with what you're seeing in Ukraine right now, because in Ukraine you have a Republican government um, – and a military that has a fairly wide selection. Jake Hanrahan just posted like a vegan extremist who's fighting on the front lines of the country. Because it's like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of different ideological tendencies fighting on behalf of the broadly Ukrainian side there, including some very nasty ones. Um, But you're kind of seeing what happens when a fascist power invades a country like that to stop a republic and democratic powers send them the most advanced weapons on the planet. Yeah, right, (laughs) which... Is all it would have taken to, to roll back fascism in Spain. And then perhaps, you know, there were a lot of German-Italian exiles fighting in Spain, right? Because the Second Republic had relatively liberal asylum policies. 
And they knew the only way to stop fascism in Italy and Germany was to roll it back in Spain and keep going, right? I, I often have this, and I've had this as we've reported on Myanmar, this weird thought of like, I'll be reading about the Spanish Civil War in my office, and I'll look at my gun collection. I'll go, if I took every, if I had, if I could go back in time with everything I have in my house, all of the ammo and guns, there are a couple of battles that might have been turned around by just that. Because, well, for one thing, because modern semi-automatic arms are much more effective than bolt-action rifles. But just like the level of armament that those people had was um, not uh, – the, the, there were 18th century armies better equipped for combat. Yeah, I mean you see people with uh, with muzzle loaders and stuff in the Spanish Civil War, right? Um, and then the only place they can turn for arms is the Soviet Union, right? And they don't just get arms. They also get these generals, right, who are quote-unquote advising they're not. They're commanding units. Uh, there's a lot of Soviet politicking at play, right? And, and as much as anything, and you can read like um, the, like uh, Peter Carroll's book on the uh, Abraham Lincoln Brigades or something, a brigade uh, uh, battalion, sorry, they weren't actually brigade, uh, that will give you a better idea of like, exactly how this strict authoritarian communist control really sapped the spirit out of the republic. Um, and you can see this in May of 1937, right, which is what George Orwell writes about in his yeah. book, right, the May days of 1937, when we see a conflict between the non-Stalinist communists. They weren't Trotskyists the poom, right? Um, very often uh, portrayed as Trotsky, it's Trotsky himself. Like, you can see the letters that he wrote to them where he had strong disagreements with them, if you care to look. Um, but... Yeah, we see this conflict, a shooting war, right, between the anarchists and the non-Stalinist communists and the Stalinist communists. And what comes out of that is this idea among people on the libertarian left, right, it's broad spectrum of libertarian leftism that we saw in Spain, that it's not really worth fighting for the republic or for the fascists, because either way, we're just going to have the boot on our neck, right? These secret police, as they were, like the secret police spent far, far, far more time going after anarchists in the Republican army than they did after spies. Oh, no. Really? <laughs> yes. The authoritarian left spent more of their time fighting anarchists than the fat. Wild. Yeah, crazy. Is it? And it's yeah. never happened again. We learned from it. We moved on. We've become better people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. We're fine now. We've fixed it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER this is it your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. For a lot of the people fighting for the Republic, right, what are you fighting for? And I think that's important that like we remember that even in times when things are bad right you have to think about what things should be like and you have to try and model that uh in in what you're doing now on an economic level when you're talking about like they come and they collectivize these farms there's like anarchist like the anarchists in large chunks and like in catalonia in particular are kind of running what at the time is a fairly modern industrial economy how does that how does that work like do do you have any kind of like overall state like during the period of time where you know they had reasonable control and also weren't completely overwhelmed with the fighting how did it function yeah you kind of have a state right you have this sort of people's committee of anti-fascist militias but uh not really because things things are somewhat chaotic right it's not a state as we would maybe understand it now yeah. so what we have instead is is anarcho-syndicalism right these unions going to other unions and organizing among themselves right like you know the the Steel workers need X from the miners, right? The the miners, then then the uh, the tube makers need X from the steel workers, and the gun company need X from the from the uh, tube makers, right? And so organizing along industrial union levels allows things to continue, right? Allows the trains and trams to continue, uh, allows them to continue manufacturing munitions, right? So it's um, it's, it's anarcho-syndicalism. It is a, it's a type of libertarian leftism. And then uh, we see these collective or sort of cooperative, I should say, farm, farming arrangements, right, where, again, uh, people, people are farming, people are sort of joining together their industrial small holdings and then delivering those, contributing those to, to the city, to the war effort. Um, there's something, as you see in Ukraine, right, relatively... Um, special that happens in these times of conflict where like people are i think more willing to just step aside from like the the and i think that's always been a th that was a thing for the spanish working class for a long time but to step aside from the accumulation of stuff right from the accumulation of individual goods and wealth and to say like yeah well let's all get stuck in together and i think that helped to allow that to happen helped to allow it to continue but yeah these organizations between unions and collectives worked right they functioned you can't 
argue that they didn't work. Like the Republican army didn't starve in a week or, or ran out of fuel and things, right? These these anarchist columns were able to to travel from Barcelona to Zaragoza and from Zaragoza back to Madrid. Like That, that, that doesn't happen if, if you're incapable of organizing, right? So, yeah, in the factories, these people had already been organizing together, right? They'd be, they were on strike often, right? They, they knew how to, they had an existing system for organizing things because they already organized to pay strike funds. They already organized to look after other union, other parts of the CNT when they were out, right? They organized to have policy statements on various things. So they had these existing means to organize. They just didn't have authorities that, that told people what to do. They knew how to work together to decide what to do. Yeah, I, I had this beautiful moment during the 2020 uprisings where I was in a city um, and I was hanging out with members of a medical collective and the building that they were in, uh, there was a couple of thousand square feet of, they were producing by assembly line, Kim wipes for clearing mace out of your eyes. Um, they were producing like IFAX medical kits. They had racks of body armor that had been donated or purchased with donated funds. Um, and it was all, it was a su substantial amount of, of equipment that was being, and, and, it, and respirators and stuff that was being organized, assembled, put together, um, distributed, put in people's hands, put in the hands of people who were going out and utilizing it on a regular basis. Um, and it was being done like within the principles of kind of like, like a number of things can be organized that way. It's, it is, it is handling the collection, the distribution um, of 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 equipment and the collection disbursement of funds, like uh, for potentially like thousands and thousands of people, um, that's perfectly doable uh, under anarchist principles. And anarchists have done that kind of thing a number of times in the world. Yeah, like if you look at the example of the uh, the soup kitchens, right, the proletarian uh, diners or restaurants, they called them, right. So in uh, in Barcelona, and Madrid, they took over the Ritz, right, uh, and and sourced food from, from rural anarchists to, to feed people, right? Rather than saying like, oh, you know, you have to buy food, you have to buy food, you have to buy food. You come here and anyone can eat if you're hungry, right? And yeah, you see people doing that. Look at the unit that we, we spoke about in Myanmar, right? The, the Kareni uh, Generation C army. They, those guys, they, um, they didn't have a, a, like, you know, no one was wearing rank, right? Yeah. No one was a general or a captain or a, or a sergeant, right? They, they talked and, and to our point before about expertise, some people, yeah. We, yeah. we found out our, the, the person we were talking to, Zaw, who was, who was killed, um, was seen as a commander by people because of what they wrote about him after he died, but he never talked about himself that way. No, and in fact, he told us, right, that if some people knew more, or they'd been in the fight for longer, they knew the terrain, and then we'd listen to them, and they have a bit more weight in that conversation. But we all just decide together what we what we want to do. Um, and that that works, right? Like, those guys were um, very well respected, right, among the, uh, the, the anti-coup forces in Myanmar because of their willingness to fight and their effectiveness. And those guys have a good battlefield record against the government troops. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, like, it wasn't just, again, like, it's not just five guys fighting, right? It's also, they were able, and, and in Myanmar, we still see this, with, like, the underground, I think they called them the development committee or yeah. something, the people who are, they were the people who fought, they did the shield walls and that kind of thing, and people will be familiar with the George Floyd uprising, for them, they went underground and they're developing ways to make weapons now, right? So they're the people you'll see making 3D printed guns. They're the people you'll see making improvised explosive devices, uh, fertilizer bombs, working out how to make handmade 2-2 rifles we've seen, right? Like 
um, again, they don't they don't need someone in charge for that, right? And, and in times of difficulty, we we revert to taking care of one another yeah. and getting things done. We we don't, contrary to I think what what we're led to believe, sort of revert to we don't need like a strong leader, a dear leader. We 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 are capable of looking after one another outside of authority in the state. Yeah, and it also stands to the point that like accepting the authority of someone with expertise in certain situations, like the fundamental way in which effective militaries organize tends to involve the existence of an NCO corps, right? You every military that is good at fighting has an NCO corps. Part of why Russia has acquitted itself so unbelievably poorly in the fighting in Ukraine is that 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 does not functionally exist in the Russian military. Um, it is absolute, and the basic idea of an NCO corps is that with among fighting units there. Should should be dudes whose job, and I say dudes in the non-gendered sense, but there should be people whose job is to make the functioning of that fighting unit be their whole life, and they stay at that job for a long time. They don't just like move up and shit. They're just they're there to keep that unit functioning. Um, and from the perspective of like someone who is an anarchist. I mean, as an anarchist who's been shot at a number of times, when I'm hanging out and there's like some grizzled ass fucking veteran in the unit I'm embedded with, I'm going to do whatever that fucker says, right? Absolutely, because you're crazy not to, because that's just good sense. It's the same thing as like if you're in deep bush or whatever with somebody who knows wilderness survival and they tell you don't eat that plant or they tell you, you know, this is a bad place to camp for this reason or whatever, you listen to them. Like that's, again... And, you know, factories function the same way. Having been on building sites, they function the same way. Somebody tells you don't do that, it's a bad idea, and they clearly have been doing it more than you. You listen to them. That's not accepting that you have a boss. That's accepting that you have people who are more experienced and competent in certain things. Yeah, and uh, if, if you look at what ineffective armies sometimes have, it's it's it's, the, it's in the officer corps, right? It, it's people who are in charge but maybe ought not to be, but it's because of their status or their wealth or something else, right? And you see, like very effective uh, fighting in the anarchist units, right, with men and women, uh, and actually people who would, were non-binary as well, like or people who we'd call non-binary didn't call themselves that then. Um, but um, we see that because they were willing to elect officers, right, but then listen to them, and it wasn't it was listen to, not obey. Right. But but that was an extremely effective way of doing things. Yeah, I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine who was a Marine and saw some very heavy combat in Iraq years ago about like the way in which certain anarchist units had worked over time. And they talked about the fact that they elected their leaders. And he was like, well, we didn't do that, obviously. But there were people you knew you shouldn't listen to and people you did. And you understood who you wanted calling the shots when bullets were flying. Right. Like regardless of what the actual hierarchy was, it's just like, you know, in the U.S. military, you have a platoon leader who was an officer who's been to college and you have a platoon sergeant and they do somewhat different things but every reasonable person who has interfaced with those units will agree that like any good platoon leader even though they're an officer and of higher rank is going to listen to whatever the fucking platoon sergeant says because they've been doing that job a lot longer yes. yeah 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 you're a yeah. fool and, and, and you're arrogant if you don't yeah. right and and that arrogance will find you out if you're in a difficult situation pretty quickly so yeah i think it's important to look to look at those anarchist militaries, right? And then there are lots and lots of accounts of the of the anarchists in the Spanish Civil War. Um, Julian Casanova's book is, is one of my favorites if people want to read one. Um, Murray Bookchin, of course, has written The Spanish Anarchist as well. Uh, so there, there are a lot of books you can read about and uh, some of the micro case studies are really fun, right? If you want to look at like, what is it like to live on an anarchist farm in 1936 uh, in, in rural Catalonia, Yale or something like that, like 
Um, and I would encourage people to read them like w- with an open mind and I understand look, like the world was different then than it is today, but to to look at those historical examples and realize that like what people were doing then was fundamentally the same, right? They were trying to take care of each other and make the world better for their children and they, and they didn't want the boot on their neck and they were all prepared to work together to do that. And th- that was an extremely functional way. And what didn't work for them was being uh, controlled by people from the Soviet Union who maybe didn't understand their struggle because they often felt it wasn't worth fighting anymore. And that's true for communists too, actually, right? Like if you look at the American communists who went and fought, and they were overwhelmingly communists who went and fought for the um, for the International Brigade. The International Brigades were not the Republic's army per se. They were the Comintern's army. And if there is one group of people who was hated more than anyone else, it was commissars, right? These people who were sort of there to enforce this very strict interpretation uh, of what they saw as Marxist-Leninism. So um, even those people, right, who were communists might have had a more slightly more libertarian understanding, didn't really take that well to being bossed around and lost a lot of their wills, what they were fighting for because of that, right? Um, Cecil Elby's book is another really good book about that, if you want to read that. Well, I think that's going to bring us to an end here. Uh, James, you have a book about the Spanish Civil War that you should probably plug here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called The Popular Front and the 1936 Barcelona Olympics. It's about the uh, the Antifa Olympics that were held as an alternative to the uh, Barcelona Olympics. It explains how uh, the Popular Front used sport to build an anti-fascist identity in Catalonia, and it used sport to bring together anti-fascists from around the world. Uh, the Popular Olympics actually happened on the 19th of July, which is the same day the Civil War started, so they never they never occurred, but many of the people who went to take part in the Olympics decided to stay and fight. Um, so that's what my book's about. Um, it, it, it's quite expensive. I understand, I understand people can't afford it. Uh, that's fine. I'm, I keep saying I'm working on another book, but I'm, I'm not working very hard or very fast. But yeah, yeah, look it up. Um, someone's probably bootlegged it. Actually, the ebook is often free at universities and other libraries. Uh, so yeah, just go to your library and ask them to get it. And uh, where else can people find you? Uh, on the internet, uh, at James Stout on Twitter. Uh, same thing on Patreon. Uh, those are my two main things. Uh, you can find my writing on Muckrack. Just Google my name. Yeah, and again, help us. Dan, I'll please bleep that out for the sake of James' immigration co- cases. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's That's an episode. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. 
I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.